Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, minute by minute, or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Sarah Buddery, and delighted to say we have a guest joining us this week. So welcome to the show, Callum Cooper. How are you doing, Callum? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be on. I'm, I'm doing really well. How about you guys? Good. Pretty good. Uh, little sleep deprived as a puppy arrived yesterday, but other than that, I'm fe- <laughs> I'm feeling uh, reinvigorated, ready to talk about Jaws. Uh, my little pup watched this scene with me, pretty nonplussed about the shark blowing up. Uh, just to give a clue, what bit we're talking about? Uh, she slept through the whole thing, so uh, mm. I guess it has the Thelma seal of approval. Uh, but <laughs> not quite. She's like, not enough dogs don't approve. Yeah, she'll be she'll scene. be more excited when she finds out that it tried to kill Pippet and uh, mm-hmm. was unsuccessful, and then be like, that's yeah. what you get for screwing with a dog. Yeah, exactly. We'll show her the Pippet bit, and she will absolutely love it. She'll be like, there's my boy. He lives. Uh, because as we all know, Pippet does survive. Um, I digress. Uh, let's get into talking. Uh, well, before we talk about this week's scene, of course, Callum, we have to ask you the Jaws question. Uh, some guests might think that your voice sounds a little familiar, perhaps like a previous guest that we might have had on <clears throat> the uh, show. So you can explain uh, who you are, as well as <laughs> who your brother is, uh, and answer the Jaws question. Uh, what is it that you love about Jaws so much that you wanted to, to come on and talk to us about it? <laughs> okay, so the reason that my voice sounds similar is because my twin brother guested on a previous episode of Let's Jaws for a Minute, and in fact, he was the guest who, I guess he's the show's resident shark expert now, is that what you guys are saying? <coughs> Correct, yeah. <laughs> sort so, of, which means, it just, all that means is that we just have dumb questions about sharks and we say, hey Jack, you can confirm or deny this, right? And um, <laughs> he only confirms things, so I feel like he might be making some stuff up just to placate us. I Having, having grown up with him for 25 years, I, I could believe it, but yes. Uh, so... <laughs> So yeah, uh, my brother and I, as young kids, uh, first watched Jaws when we were about six or seven, I want to say. And the way Jack described it in his podcast appearance was pretty accurate. We were going through the shops, found, I think it would have been the VHS then, managed to convince our mum to purchase the film so we could watch it. Because he was big in sharks, of course, after watching Nigel Marvin on TV. And I was really big in cinema, in films ever since I saw Star Wars as a kid. So we thought, hey, this looks pretty good. Let's put it on. Maybe it's a bit scary. Because Jaws was a bit of a... If I remember correctly, Jaws was a bit of a taboo subject because it's seen as no, this is a scary shark. So we thought, hey, what's the worst that can happen? And, well, uh, two traumatized children later... <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, it was one of those films that for a while after first watching it, we kind of put it away and it's like, oh, that's a scary movie. Maybe not watch that again. But then five, six, seven, however many years later, we studied the film in English in high school. And as my own love of cinema was budding at the time, my appreciation for Jaws just went through the roof after I watched it. Like for Jack, it's his absolute favourite film, and for me it's top five material easily. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, yeah. um... Oh, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I... Uh, we were saying this off mic, but uh, I just love that this is the journey that you guys <laughs> you guys had with this film, that, like, you watched it together. It was this whole thing. You were traumatised by it when you were younger, and then both ended up loving it in different ways i just think is is really fun yeah we have had conversations about that in the past how he i suppose i joked about this before we started recording but he kind of went into more the biological fascination that comes with jaws and i went very much into the cinematic fields that came from jaws yeah i think uh you know that's one of the things and this is why i tend to get on my high horse about people talking shit about spielberg is like He's the reason most people end up going into film stuff, right? Like, it's, 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 I mean, it's him in Star Wars, right? Like, that, that is the most common. If you were to ask any, like, filmmaker, film studies major, anything like that, it's maybe not Jaws, uh, but it's Jurassic Park, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's, you know, it's one of those, like, big-time blockbustery spectacle movies that made them fall in love with movies as a kid. And, you, I mean, just today, I got on my high horse on Twitter about this, like, someone posted a, a political alignment chart of directors, and it was Buck Wild to begin with, but it said that Spielberg was, like, a right-leaning authoritarian filmmaker, And I was like, no, (laughs) that's not true at all. But the reasoning for it is because it said, uh, it said he's your dad's favorite director. And that's enough said about that. And I was like, the hell he is like, he's one of the all time greats, like undeniably one of the best people to ever set foot behind the camera. And like, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. The reason you were able to make that stupid little alignment chart in the first place, I guarantee you, is because you loved Jaws or Indiana Jones or Jurassic Park as a child. Mm-hmm. Or E.T. <laughs> or E.T., yeah. I oh, tend I... not to like E.T., so I forget about that one being a, bi- a big a big part of uh, people's childhoods. But I, for sure, and like, you know, he's your dad's favorite movie because he watched a lot of his films as a kid as well. So it's just, that's such a patronizing take, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, what millennial-ass person wrote that? <laughs> Wait, we're millennials. Uh, what's yeah. the one below that? <laughs> Gen Z. Gen, Gen Z. Z, yeah. <laughs> Trashing myself here. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> uh, also, Callum, I feel like uh, we have to address a conversation that we had in person uh, at a recent Glasgow Film Festival where... We were talking about how, uh, as mentioned, me and MJ sort of frequently say very dumb stuff and then uh, defer to to Jack to tell us that we're dumb. Um, Actually, he never does that. He's very nice. Um, But corrects us and and tells us what is is true and what isn't about sharks. And we, on an episode, asked, do sharks have chins? 
<laughs> so when we spoke about when we spoke about this, I was like, you, "Well, you said I'll text Jack and ask him," and the response was surprising to say the least. Uh, yes, that's right. So if I if I remember the conversation correctly, it was that sharks don't have chins, but they apparently do have two penises. <laughs> Which is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the scientific name is claspers, but that's basically how we described it. <laughs> I love it. I love it even more now than I did <laughs> when I first learned this information. <laughs> I just got my experience with that because I was not present, as I do not live in the UK, is that I got a frantic DM from Sarah that was like, <laughs> Jack's brother just told me. <laughs> I think it was, it might have been all caps as well. Yeah. It really, <laughs> quite manic. I was to like, which... I need to tell MJ this right this second. <laughs> well, to which both of our response, I believe rightly so, is why didn't Jack lead with this on his episode? Because that's information everyone needs to know about sharks. Yeah, especially <laughs> us. Read the room, Jack. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, if there man. were ever two people more primed to receive the information that sharks have two dicks, it is the the two co-hosts of this podcast. <laughs> Truly is. Uh, well, since Jack will be listening to this episode, Jack, you missed an opportunity, man. <laughs> yeah. See, look, this was the... <laughs> you were very informative. You told us many things. Uh, we learned a lot on that episode uh, about actual shark autopsies, but we did not learn the crucial information <laughs> that, <laughs> that sharks, what they lack in chins, they make up for in penises. <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, uh, currently, actually, Jack's on... I think it's like a month or a couple month long tour of different places of the world. He's really giving up on his sec on I think the practical element of his PhD now. So as we're recording this, he's currently in Vienna looking up a lot of shark teeth. Mm, very cool. <laughs> Is uh does. I mean, oh, we could have asked Jack this, but uh, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> like, these trips and stuff, do these happen quite a bit? Like, goes off on these sort of research trips and stuff? Uh, yeah, this particular trip is uh, funded primarily through his PhD, but I, I think mm. they happen on and off again, for sure. Like, he went to South Africa twice, he went to Greece once, but I don't, I don't think that was related to a shark work. No, I could be wrong, because I... You know, I don't think sharks are in Greece, but again, I I'm a film guy. What do I know? But but yeah, no, <laughs> South South Africa twice, and now he's on a couple. I think it's a couple months expedition, so several places in Europe. Then he's gonna go to Washington D.C. for a bit, and then Peru. So oh, he's cool. he's having an exciting spring. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, good that travel can happen again now as well, because I guess pandemic sort of put a put a stop to all this fun and games so it's uh now that this trips can happen again i mean making oh he's making it. up it making so up for lost time i yeah yeah for sure 
Um, I and right. So, I guess we should probably start. No, go on. Sorry. Uh, uh no, Savi. It was more just to say, like he's definitely making up for lost time, and you know, I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you guys. I don't really understand half of it either. But, but then again, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not smart enough. No, I'm I'm not of a scientific mind, sadly. But look, between you combined, the ultimate. Uh, <laughs> you've got the film knowledge. You have the shark knowledge. You are, in fact, the perfect two people to come on this <laughs> podcast. Matter of fact, uh, you two separately. probably should be the hosts. Uh... <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? I... <laughs> uh, it, it would just... Yeah, uh, we're, we're two... Ep- it would just sound like the the same person after a while, wouldn't it? With our voices being so similar. <laughs> yeah, one blurs one blurs into the other a little. But yeah, we're two, we're two episodes from the end, and now we realize that we are not the best people to, <laughs> to host this podcast. Too fucking um, late now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we're giving you guys ideas now. If you, I mean. 10 out of 10 would listen if you guys did decide to do some kind of podcast together. Uh, I would be very interested in listening to that. But alas, uh, we are the hosts of this podcast. Uh, We don't own the minute-by-minute format, as we have learned. Uh, But, you know, feel free to set up a rival minute-by-minute Jaws podcast, I guess. Actually, don't do that. (laughs) I'm giving you guys ideas now. It'd get very chaotic very quickly, I think, if we were to do that. (laughs) Have you listened to this show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a chaotic twin energy, I feel. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Derail things very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's get started talking about this scene uh because uh, there is a lot to talk about and a very significant uh moment in the film as well that we have got to talk about we are i mean we were talking about this uh off mic as well before we started recording is that this is our penultimate episode in terms of the film we have one more episode that is talking about uh, a minute or a, or thereabouts and then we have our kind of big finale wrap-up episode where we'll watch the the whole film answer questions all the usual fun stuff um but yeah this is this is uh this is a big moment uh and i feel a little bit sad <laughs> that it's coming to an end but very very excited to talk about this scene because it's such a great moment uh so the timestamp of this week's scene and i've got a a new number that I need to say. So let me see if I can get it in one. It is from one hour, 58 minutes and 48 seconds through to two hours. Woo! <laughs> and 33 seconds. Uh, more excited than I should have been for getting over the two hour mark there, but it feels like a milestone worth celebrating. Uh, it is one minute and 45 seconds of the film. Um, I think... Is that right? Yes. Yeah, sure. Looks right. Uh, so uh, where we start this scene is uh, the bit that I kept watching last week because it's too good not to, uh, is when the music begins again as the shark is heading back towards Brody. Um, Brody is 
making his way up the mast. Uh, he grabs a weapon before he does that. He grabs a rifle and a sort of stick, pointy stick thing. Probably a more uh, technical term for that. Um, and then heads up the mast and the shark appears. He takes a couple of jabs at it. And then the shark swims away or goes somewhere. Uh, and Brody is then sort of talking to himself. Uh, so when we get this great bit of dialogue, we're sort of saying, you know, blow up, blow up, show me the tank and all the rest of it. Uh, the shark closes in. Brody takes his shots. We have one of the best lines in a film ever. Uh, and the shark explodes. And Brody is triumphant, elated, the happiest he has ever been, I believe, at this moment in time. Uh, yeah. And that is pretty much where where we leave it for for this week. So, a big moment to talk about. And uh, Callum, you get the honour of uh, of going first. So, anything that you noticed or picked up on in this week's scene? Oh well, no pressure then. But yeah. So the reason I wanted to come on for this scene specifically is because you know, even as a traumatised child when I first saw the film, this is a moment that really stuck out to me, you know, not just because of the general aesthetic, like, on craft alone, this is, like, one of the best climaxes to any film ever, mm. quite frankly, but for me, what really makes this scene is the narrative and thematic payoff of Brody's character. His entire arc culminates and pays off in this moment, and I think it's just done so brilliantly, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so satisfying. I I mean, I've talked about in previous weeks the I getting emotional at bits that I've never got emotional at before. Uh, properly, properly cried when when Quint died. Teared up last week when there was just like a a, a lone can of Gansett floating in the water because it made me think of Quint. Uh, and uh, similarly, but uh, happier tears this time. This scene. Well, this bit really, really got me. I felt so elated. And maybe it is just this way we're doing it, obviously looking at it in isolation. And we've really been building up to this moment, um, especially in the in the back half of the film, talking about a lot of very tense moments. We've had a really quite busy and chaotic last 10 minutes or so with, with Hooper in the cage and Quint's death and just so much. And these events are packed in so tightly in the in this sort of final stages of the film as well and it's it doesn't feel rushed at all it is perfectly paced but the execution of it and just that joy that Brody experiences at the end you're right Callum it's such a great it's such a great payoff for this character it's so perfect that it is Brody that does it and we touched on this in in previous weeks but the significance of what he uses as well in terms of you know finally finally defeating the shark i mean it's happened like the shark is defeated this is what we've spent the whole film building up to and it's just such a joyous incredible moment yeah it it got me more than it has ever got me before i don't know if it was the same for you mj with us being on this crazy journey together <laughs> um yeah so i was thinking about this watching it today um so i didn't talk about this on last week's episode but at time of recording last week i had gone to an event um about an hour away in boulder colorado called the the ebert the ebert interruptus where 
Um, the film critic Josh Larson from Film Spotting and the Think Christian uh, website, uh, he takes a different film every year. And as part of this thing called the Conference for World Affairs, he uh, he basically breaks it down. Ebert used to do this. That's why it's called the Ebert Interruptus. And he takes it to this conference. And the first day he screens the film start to finish. And then over the next three days, because it's a four-day conference, he breaks he breaks the film down roughly into thirds and uh, provides live commentary with it. The twist is that uh, at any point during the film, anyone in the auditorium can yell stop and they will pause the film and then you get to offer up your own analysis of it. <laughs> and it was great. I was only able to attend for the last hour of the film, um, which was the last day. And uh, it was my first time properly seeing Jaws. Well, not even that, because it was only an hour of it. But I've only seen Jaws since we started this podcast, mainly because we started it during pandemic times. I've only seen Jaws in with a big audience one time since we started this uh, podcast. And it was on the 4th of July, and it was outside. So it was more of like a hangout, like... Definitely people were paying attention to it, but it was definitely more like a hangout. Everyone has a beer. We're kind of chatting like Jaws was happening in the background, sort of like I took a it was really hot. I took a long break to go inside the theater and play pinball for for a while because <laughs> it was just really hot and there were a lot of bugs on me outside. I was getting eaten up by mosquitoes. So this is the first time I'd seen it like properly, like sitting down with an audience and we're actually paying attention to the film. And yes, we're interrupting it and offering our own analysis, but that's a, making it even deeper into the film. But besides all the fun, like, you know, decoration of that, the one thing I noticed during this last hour is, man, it plays to an audience. It is so much fun to experience this movie, no matter how, time, how many times you've done it. And if you haven't done it, you have to do it. Find a screening near you. Um to watch it with an audience. And by the way, this is an audience who had seen the film start to finish three days before. Um, and it still works, even though they had just seen it a couple days prior. And like, you, there were all these moments that we've talked about in isolation that I'm now experiencing with an audience where I was like leaning forward in my seat, just grinning and like, looking around at pe people by the way i didn't know a single person here i didn't go with anyone no one invited me i just showed up and uh yeah so i'm looking at this room full of strangers and just like waiting for them to react and just like laugh like i was laughing at a lot of it because it was just so it was so fun to watch this movie just work its magic on an audience and this moment oh my gosh it was the most triumphant I've ever felt watching this movie. And I don't not feel that way whenever I watch it. It's such a great, I mean, it, it is, you know, to quote Scorsese, this is cinema. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, <laughs> it is one of the movie. It, it is one of those movie moments where you just like, are like, this is why I love movies. And I think almost anyone who watches this movie feels that way about this moment in this movie. Yeah, that's definitely my take on it. Like, as I said, even as a kid, like, kind of hiding behind the couch watching it, I still remember this moment so distinctly because, 
you mean as you know not just for it being the payoff of Brody's arc and his character but also like it's right. just aesthetically so well done isn't it yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's absolutely brilliant i there's a great great shot in this which i only realized how great it was uh this time around classic me uh drink if you're playing the <laughs> drinking game i guess um but the let me just find my notes so i can refer back to it but it's it's like a, we're looking down at Brody, like as he is his climbing the mast and it's really really quite like that shot of quint that great shot we have of quint when he is like at the top of the mast on on the orca earlier in the film and Brody is at the back chumming and Hooper is playing with himself or whatever on the, the, <laughs> the front. And it's just, it's so, it's so satisfying that to, to look at because obviously it's completely different. The orca is now pretty much entirely submerged and we've now just got this lone character who is, is climbing the mast and is, you know, getting ready to, to face the shark, you know, and it is going to be the shark or Brody at this at this point, and it's just I love that callback to uh, to that earlier moment in the film, and it's it's so great. The tension building, oh, I mean, there is a reason why I couldn't stop watching the film after last week's scene, and because as soon as that music kicks in, that's it. I I'm watching the rest of the film, and there's not much of it left at this point. So in last week's scene, we we stopped it like right before that that bit of music kicks in. Um, but as soon as that score starts, it's so stirring, it's so exciting, it's so thrilling, and it combines so many elements of the the score that we've heard already. You get the uh, sort of the use of like the Jaws score, you know, the 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 score associated with the ch- with the shark, but you also get that really adventurous score when they're when they're chasing down the shark or hunting the Mm -hmm. shark um and then you also get the i mean it's not a coincidence that the bit when like brody is jabbing the shark with the with the pointy stick thing that it sounds like the psycho score right Mm. that is not a coincidence (laughs) because we've made psycho comparisons uh almost from the beginning i would say like when it when it comes out but yeah, just that's a, a great bit that I hadn't picked up on before as well. And I think that the score just adding that excitement, like I, I even talking about it now, I'm getting this feeling in my chest where it's just like the anticipation of it happening. Doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. And I've seen this film a lot. And I've probably watched it all the way through in this process more times than you have, MJ, because yep. I am weak. And I can't <laughs> resist watching Jaws, <laughs> especially when it's on TV <laughs> in the UK, which is every week uh so i cannot resist uh yes you have every right to feel smug uh because (laughs) i caved i i'll have to check my letterbox stats um and see how many times we'll do this on the final episode but i'll see i'll confess to how many times i've watched yours even though saying i was only going to watch it one minute at a time (laughs) uh i can't resist I, i really can't and this this bit is it has to be one of my favorite moments in the film it's just you know like we've said this this culmination this perfect arc for for the character such an exciting moment it's so great to look at the score is great i mean everything is just really really working for me in this scene and i have seen it uh not actually whilst we've been doing this podcast but i've seen this film with an audience a couple of times and that moment it always 
like the bit when the shark blows up uh it always gets a cheer always 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 it doesn't matter how warm or, or cold the audience is to jaws every time i've seen it at a cinema people have, have clapped and cheered at that moment and mm-hmm. us brits we're a little bit more reserved in cinemas we don't really do whooping cheering applauding unless it's the many spider-mens um i guess but it's not really a thing it's not really a thing here as much as it is in the us i want to say but certainly from my experience every time i've seen jules with an audience always gets a reaction yeah uh i don't know i think rumors of americans hooping and hollering during films is greatly exaggerated it's uh (laughs) i can probably count on one time on one hand uh, the amount of times I've experienced that. One of them was Pirates of the Caribbean too. Uh, but I went to the midnight screening for that. So like all the diehards, that's when you really get it is when you go to the midnight um, like, first showings sure, for yeah. all this, like the diehard fans of these things, that's when you get it. And I avoid those like the plague. So um, yeah, I don't, I, it doesn't happen that much, but with Jaws, it always happens. Um, it, <laughs> it definitely always happens. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's so great and like you guys have been saying it's everything about it right like it's just this perfect combination of of craft on the people's part and then like editing and roy scheider is amazing in this scene like his mm-hmm. his triumph scream is so believable and the 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 way he conveys that sense of like elation and relief like watching his body change to just like drop all this tension like he looks one he's soaking wet so he just like he looks like a different person he looks way different than we've seen him this entire movie i feel like there's just this like it's not a particularly nervy performance i don't want to like say that uh, that would be overkill i think to say but you know he's wound a little bit tight you know he's a little you know he's very his posture is very straight he's very like you know collected and like wants to wants to get the job done and very businesslike and um wants to get to the bottom of this and like solve the case right he's he's on the case and this is the end of it right and so he just gets to to let that release all that tension release all that weight it's done it's over he gets to you know He's the happiest I think we've seen him all movie, you know, before he's just very distracted by it. You know, Ellen has to pull him out of this uh, several times to be like, hey, life's life's going on outside of this as well. And you have to pay attention to that. Um, And it just all like you can feel it release out of his body when he when he blows up the shark. And that's that's not easy to do as an actor, I feel like. Like, I don't know much about acting, but. I don't think I could do that believably. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a terrific performance, and for what it's quite subdued as well. Like he doesn't say that much. It's mostly just grunting and groaning, and then mm-hmm. and then of course you know the classic smile, you son of a bitch. But yeah, it's such a terrific performance mm-hmm. because, and also just so satisfying from a writing perspective because this is a character. Like, you guys have talked about uh, the recurring motifs of Predator and Prey throughout the podcast, but I, just personally, I feel like Brody doesn't really register on either side of that equation. He's much more a protector, like he's a police officer. His literal Mm -hmm. role in society is to be a protector. 
But because of his fear of water and what else, he hasn't really been able to achieve that. So for me, this is not so much a story about, you know, killing a killer shark. It's more about a man overcoming his fears and becoming the protector he yeah. wants to be. 100%. Yeah, I... This is the thing that I, I love so much and why Jaws is perfect. I mean, many reasons why it's perfect. We've established that. But the it feels like how this goes down in this scene, that this is the only way it could have ever happened. Like, all those pieces slot together the build-up to this moment has been has been going since the start of the film but especially when they sort of make it onto the onto the orca and we've spoken about Brody going through this complete life cycle journey almost as as he gets onto the boat and he's like scared and he's afraid of the water and you know even going back even earlier than that actually like the I think uh, Alex Kintner death um when they're trying to get everyone out the water Brody doesn't even put his little toe yeah. in the sea like he is on like the edge of the water you see him look down as the waves like clearly sort of come like near his feet and he sort of steps back and now look at him he is like waist deep <laughs> like you know <laughs> a complete change from from what we've seen but this yeah this idea of of, of Brody as as the protector and how it feels so right that he is the one who who pulls the trigger and ends it i think is completely perfect and, and everything has been building up to this moment as as we've said but the others are involved in this as well mm-hmm. and it's i think we probably mentioned this a few weeks back but the the rifle that he uses the gun that he uses it is not his gun it's not his little handgun it is quint's gun so Quint is involved in in this too. That's that's his weapon, presumably the the pointy stick as well. That looks like one of Quint's weapons that he had on on the Orca, um, and Hooper is involved in this as well. And neither neither of those two are present in this scene, but parts of them are involved in it. They, and Hooper sort of represented in the the tank that you know he bought that on the orca that that's his contribution to this sort of big finale if you will and this was something that i was thinking about when i was writing my notes because obviously uh hooper and quint were both meant to die and it only got changed because of that incredible shark footage (laughs) that Mm. ron and valerie taylor got with the shark rolling on top of the cage and obviously the cage being empty and that's that's the whole reason why they or part of the reason why they they changed the end of the film to to let Hooper live. So, if we sort of go with the assumption that you know these these pieces all being the same, but the outcome for Hooper being different, it's super interesting that here's where it gets a bit gross. But inside the shark's mouth are still bits of Quint. We still mm. see it, like the sort of like the fleshy pink ugh, gross um, when the shark opens its mouth, and there is also so that is you know literal bits of quint in in the shark's mouth but then the sort of the representation of of hooper in the tank inside the shark's mouth as well so it's just like an interesting idea i guess that like brody is you know he's he's taken that shot to to blow up the shark but Mm -hmm. the motivation as well as you know protecting amity protecting his his family and and where where he lives and works is also 
sort of avenging like what has happened to the other two as well and the clear representation of that is like in the shark's mouth so he is like taking that shot as a sort of you know he is the hero he is the ultimate hero at the end of the day because he is protecting everyone and also you know his two two friends uh, are dead or believed to be dead uh, at this point his his traveling companions and we see an idea of that or a representation of that like in the shark's mouth itself i hope that made some sense <laughs> oh you know that that makes uh, perfect sense to me and i think it's such a clever way of vision between obviously uh, quint's weaponry and hooper's tank in in the shark's mouth it's such a clever visual way of showing i believe what what brody has learned from these two because both uh hooper and quinn are like opposite extremes essentially when it comes to their relationship with the shark and how they want to go about it whereas brody is very much more of the everyman he's i guess fish out of water i suppose if you want to fit a pun in there somewhere <laughs> but yeah so Wait. it's very it's <laughs> it's realized what that sounded like as soon as i said it but uh it's very much like a visual way of to show what Brody has learned from these two, and he mm. is now taking, <clears throat> I guess, their contributions, their skills, applying it to, effectively, his own bravery, and that is what's needed to take out the shark in the end. Yeah, I mean, um, by the way, I think the term you're looking for, Sarah, is spear. <laughs> Pointy stick. I prefer my term. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm such an idiot. Look, I played with puppy brain. I'm right. I had very little sex last night. <laughs> Pointy stick. <laughs> but the 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 moment with the pointy stick is uh, is. It's interesting to me, and this is where he definitely has to bring in the elements of Hooper. So he he brings that in last week, right, by looking at technology and figuring out how he can use it. Granted, he's using it in a pretty, quote, primitive way, um, you know, not the intended use case for those, those, those oxygen tanks. But he remembers, oh, shit, if I can get this lit, it will ignite. Like, if I spark, it could blow up. If I can spark it. So he thinks about the tech knowledge he's learned. And then he thinks about the sort of like, I would guess, I, I, I guess for lack of a better term, street smarts or C smarts that, that Quint has. And he sees the gun. He also has obviously weapons knowledge as a, uh, a police officer. Um, but he also gets like a very primitive weapon in the pointy stick. And... Um, <laughs> He, he gets this, which is an, it's a moment. I think I've been thinking about this a lot. He gets this and not just because I read it on the podcast twice, um, <laughs> but he gets this very like Ahab from hell's heart. I stab at the moment with the shark right before he, you know, to, to get it away. And it, it seems like Quint should have that moment, you know, and you know, it, it, it it's, it's this weird callback and I, I i think i tried to i've always tried to figure this out because it feels like quint should have this this moment like he is he is the ahab of this story hands down and he definitely gets that moment with the machete at the end of his arc when he's getting eaten but this is you know the the, the moment from moby dick that everyone knows who hasn't read the book 
by the way, that's me, aside from the first two chapters on the podcast, uh, is, you know, Ahab showing down with the, the shark, the, the shark, the whale, and, you know, from Hell's Heart, I stab at the using the spear, even though he knows it's a futile effort to before he is taken out by the whale. And I mean, I think if you look at if you look at any adaptation of Moby Dick, it's shot basically like this moment where Brody is stabbing the shark with the spear. And I don't think that's uh that's uh you know a coincidence. I think there's they're drawing a very clear line between Moby Dick and this film. But I don't necessarily i mean i understand that it is he's kind of embodying the spirit of quint that he did not have prior to going on the boat um yeah that i mean yeah even that illustration looks similar right like um yeah i was just trying to find it i was like i uh with my slim knowledge of moby dick which also extends to the the comparisons with jaws and the two chapters that you read um is that i have seen this image or similar and it is he's got a pointy stick too so you know (laughs) yes yes he does have a pointy stick you're correct um and uh anyway so i don't understand why it has to be brody aside from him embodying this sort of like primal shark hunting spirit that quint has and i think you know quint has this kind of one of the admirable things about Quint is the spirit of like not giving up in the face of adversity um, and leaning into it. And it's not that Brody doesn't have that. He just doesn't have that on the water. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he had to learn that from Quint and that's, you know, that's where he can really feel that connection. So I guess that's why he gets the sort of Ahab moment, but it, it just, it's, it doesn't feel out of place to give it to him, but I, I've always kind of wondered why Brody has that and Quint doesn't when he's clearly the the, the archetype they're, they're drawing the parallel from the most is Quint and Ahab. Well, I think, if I remember correctly, doesn't yeah. Ahab uh, not, not get the whale at the end of Moby Dick? So maybe that's the parallel in that yeah. Quint... Quint's mission in the film is that he wants to kill the shark himself, but by, I guess, his own kind of hubris in trying to do that is what ends up getting him killed, I think. But that's that's talking about, like, two, three scenes back now, certainly. But Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, I guess, there is there is that, that element of... of... Quint not yeah not getting the the prize at the end of the day that someone else that that gets it but it for everything that we know and everything that we've spoken about with Quint as a as a character as well his end like what happens to him felt like the only thing that could have happened to him like I can't see Quint the place that he was at post going through the Indianapolis uh, speech and reliving all of that trauma I can't see Quint being in that position that Brody is in at the end of this film where he is like so laser focused that he is able to make that shot, which is a pretty impressive shot as yeah. well at the, at the end of the day <laughs> uh, to be able to to take down this shark. But 
I now am apparently obsessed with just looking up illustrations of, of Moby Dick, and I have found one where the mast looks exactly the same uh-huh. as the one on the orca. It's coming. There we go. Uh, even with, like, the two, like, little uh, little rings at the top. Oh, wow. Like, Brody puts himself, yeah. like, in the middle of one of those things as well. So I always thought it's interesting. It's almost like it's not gonna do that much to protect him but it is <laughs> something that is like a slight barrier between him and the shark uh is is where he puts himself but yeah uh i might have to read maybe dick yeah <laughs> I'm, I, I i've been thinking about especially after reading the two chapters i've been thinking about it and i feel like i need to i've seen it there's an adaptation that i think usa network did um in the 90s or the early 2000s thousands with gregory peck uh oh 1956 was gregory peck i thought there was a another one that was similar um anyway uh so ray bradbury wrote the script to the 1956 film starring john houston and or directed by john houston and starring gregory peck wow uh i should probably watch that (laughs) that's a lot of people i like um Anyway, uh, but yeah, every, every, uh, oh, here we go, television. Uh, Patrick Stewart was Ahab, and Gregory Peck was uh, Father Maple in it. Okay, so I saw that. It was in 1998, Um, and I don't remember much about it, but I remember watching it, but every time I've seen Jaws, like, so much of the orca stuff reminds me of so much of the, the, uh, the Pequod, I think is the name of the boat in moby dick stuff in in moby dick like even just from that one adaptation i saw over 20 years ago now um i i can remember certain shots and and stuff that were and i'm sure you know if you make moby dick in 1998 you're gonna also visually borrow from jaws a lot uh Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's almost this you know this Ouroboros of, you know, seafaring adventure, uh, tracing down this, you know, killer beast, uh, while actually being a meditation on, you know, masculinity and human nature. Um, and it starts with Moby Dick and his jaws. And then each adaptation of either one of those or or influences is going to feed on itself. Um, Mm. so yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we probably should read it it at some point. (laughs) I mean, to the point where, like, right, isn't isn't Farewell and Adieu in Moby Dick, right? Yeah, it sure, it sure is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're bad Jaws fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell, they named, right, they named the boat in the movie after a whale. You can't get much more <laughs> on the nose than that. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, yes, you can. Right before Quint, the Ahab character of the piece, starts singing Farewell and Adieu before Show Me the Way to Go Home, there's a whale song in the background. Yep. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Jaws is Moby Dick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Moby two dicks, as we've learned. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! 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 That might be one of the funniest things I've ever said. Yes, oh, that, that was, was... Oh my that, god. That was excellent. That was brilliant. That might be my favorite thing you've ever said on this podcast. Thank you. I quit. Uh, it's been a great run. 
I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, what a mic drop moment to head into the last two episodes with. Incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've got, I've got uh, nothing else. Now. Can I, I mean... make that the title of the episode? <laughs> if, I mean, it would be rude not to, surely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's gift wraps. That was... Oh, that yeah, me. That, that was yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those, like, it was so funny it bypassed me laughing. Like, it was just like, I, laughter is not the proper... It's so funny that laughter is too little of a response to this. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I don't, know <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. Uh, peaked. Uh, <laughs> Moby two dicks. <laughs> also, that sounds like a two-bit underwater gangster. Like, that's what... Uh, that's oh, that's Scorsese's yeah. character in Shark Tale is named Moby Two Dicks. <laughs> I just remembered Mike Scorsese's in Shark Tale. They still gave him his eyebrows. <laughs> oh wow! I <laughs> I mean that film is n- not good, but I just truly love that Martin Scorsese is in an animated <laughs> little film about sharks. Yep. As a, was he like a puffer fish in that? Yep. I think so, there yeah. There he is. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's the eyebrows. Yeah. They gave him the Scorsese eyebrows. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's uh, it's exquisite, right? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to I'm gonna attempt to save this and bring it back to the scene. That's usually what I try and do. Um, the <laughs> I'm really struggling here. Okay, <laughs> there's a a great uh, and we've had a couple moments like this, but a, a great sort of fake jump scare moment, and it's super super <clears throat> subtle. Um, but it's as Brody is sort of climbing climbing up the mast getting into position and there's just like this random shot of the water thrown in and you fully just expect to see the shark appear at that moment uh and it doesn't it then cuts back to Brody, and then when the shark does inevitably appear like a couple seconds later it catches Brody off guard and it catches us completely <laughs> off guard as well and it's jaws is so good at doing this i mean we've had bits uh, similar to this just in the last like 10 15 minutes of the film there's the bit with uh with hooper in the cage when you sort of you see where you think the shark could be coming from and then he comes from the other side uh the going way back ben gardner head in the boat it never happens at the point that you think it does uh it's just part of the magic trick of of jaws is even at this point, being able to to catch you off guard. Like, you think that you know exactly what is going to happen by this point, but there still manages to just throw in that little extra surprise with the shark appearing. Um, I just thought was was really, really great in this bit. I, something I really love about that particular wide shot that you're mentioning, Sarah, is that it really gave me vibes of, like, a western showdown or something, like, between Brody mm. and the shark. Mm-hmm. But also particularly because obviously we have yellow symbolizing danger. That's a kind of bit of a curving motif. But unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure the last time we see one of those yellow barrels is maybe 
right before that moment, which I think is implying that the barrels have now sunk, sunk into the ocean at this point, and maybe that that mm. might be the moment even where Brody, I guess, perhaps metaphorically has overcome his fear, and now he's like, nope, this is me. It's me, the shark. Let's go. <laughs> you know. Mm. Yeah, there's yeah, there, just... there, there's weird barrel continuity. Um... With this, because the barrels are hollow, right? So they're supposed to float. Um, and then we see at the end Hooper and Brody floating in on the barrels, but they're nowhere to be found in this uh, in this showdown. So aside from like on the orca, yeah. Uh, other than maybe that one hmm. bit, perhaps right at the beginning of the scene, I I think they're removed, and I I don't. Know, Knowing Spielberg, that was probably a deliberate choice on his part, but see, as yeah. obviously as we've been talking, sort of yellow representing danger, I think I think that's probably quite a clever way of saying that, okay, while danger is still there, certainly, like, you know, the shark is still coming for him, Bodhi has now kind of absolved himself of fear, or at least if he is still fearful, he now has the courage to face it. Yeah, I. that's a really good point. And that's a point I wanted to bring up. I didn't know where I would be able to bring it up, but it's right here. If you look at him when he... Oh, let me pull the timestamp. Um, when he grabs the weapons, uh, it's 159 to like 159.04. When he grabs those weapons, he is not sure-footed about it at all um he kind of fumbles around with them and he almost uses the spear as like a walking stick to get him to the mast and he's like he's holding his weight weird in his core and like his like his his butt like it, like he i i know it's because of the 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 boat's at an angle so it's at a weird it's just an unnatural pose an unnatural posture for him um and it would be for anyone but it's this really great moment where he doesn't freak out about it. You know, he's not thinking about whether or not he's touching the water. And so I think it goes to show, like, for a lot of people who deal with fear and anxiety, the goal is to not be not scared. The goal is to push past it. Uh, yeah, definitely. And that's, I think that is what ultimately defines Brody's arc in this film, is, like, his ability, in order to fulfill his role to protect those he loves, he has to conquer his fear of water, or I suppose the wider fear of the shark, or what, or that. But and I like what I really like as well was that it's not the the toxic masculinity thing of like I'm going to be big and tough and that. No, it's just mm -hmm. about it is just about conquering fear and doing it for yourself and those you love. It's not about displaying toughness. It's about protecting people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he displays the fear. It's on his face. Like, he looks scared <laughs> in this scene, but Hi. he mm. he he definitely just, like, he works through it instead of just either running away or just, you know, ignoring it. He acknowledges it, you know, recognizes his fear, and then says, we're going to do this anyway. Mm. Actually, yeah, the, the, I just was scrolling through the the film a little bit because I was I was looking for barrel continuity and I got a bit <laughs> got a bit sidetracked but just the the bit that I I mentioned where the shark does sort of like spring up on him and and surprise him I I paused it on that bit and you can absolutely see the fear all over his his face in that yeah. moment and this 
the way that he is sort of handling the weapons, particularly the pointy stick, as we will now forever call it, he's not... I mean, it's not carefully considered, you know, what bits of the shark am I am I putting this into? Mm-hmm. It is sort of quite haphazard in the way that he is jabbing it at the shark. It's just like whatever bit of this pointy stick I can get into into the shark is, is going to help. Um, whether he is... I don't think because he's got the, the two weapons as well. I don't think he's like this is what he's going to use to to kill the shark because Quint's been jabbing at it with a machete. Like it's it, it's not going to be enough. But whether it is this sort of weaken it with this and then I can give myself a second, get myself into a position with a weapon that is a bit more comfortable. But being able to push push through that fear. I mean this this whole scene. I mean we're kind of coming back to where we started, but this scene is Brody's whole arc, right? Yeah. Like he is pushing through that fear and we see him experience fear. And that's a really good point about it not sort of being this uh, cocksure, like toxic masculinity. There's no swinging dicks to be found here. <laughs> he is, uh, he is, he is scared and you see it. Well, there might be a couple under the water, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I may or may not have tried yes. to make the same joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> bringing it back. He 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 pushes through the the fear and what he is what he is going through, what he sees in front of him. I mean, it is terrifying. Like I've just I've gone a, a bit ahead, and the well, one the shark looks great uh, yep. in this bit as it always does, um, but it is terrifying and he there is not a great distance between Brody and this shark now it is like arm's length away you know yeah. that's that's why he's using this this thing to jab at it but he he makes that conscious decision you know like uh, he get get the shark away for long enough to then be able to to get himself into position and and do what he needs to do and and defeat the shark and it's like yeah this this whole scene is Brody's arc it's like conquer the fear do what i've got to do to 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 be the hero and to you know effectively save amity save save his family if we're bringing it back down to that because that's that's where his family are and the shark did pose a very real threat to specifically his family uh spoiler that continues um (laughs) but it's it's, isn't it just great? <laughs> isn't it yeah. Just like well, what we've seen Brody go through is all in this scene. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it, and not just save his, save and protect his family, but save and protect his home. Right? Before, sure. right before he gets on the Orca, he calls Amity home for the first time in the movie, right? He says to take mm-hmm. Sean home. And Ellen says, home. She says, New York. And he says, home here. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. I want to give really big credit, not just to Spielberg's directing in this scene, but also to uh, Werner Field's editing. I think it's just yep. top-notch in this bit. Yes! Yeah, and <laughs> I think particularly the bit... Pre- preaching to the choir. Yeah, particularly the bit I want to mention is as the shark is coming towards him and Brody is starting to fire with the rifle, like it's a... Uh, I mean, A, that small moment of the shark munching on the tank as it's heading towards him, that 
literally scared the hell out of me as a child. Mm. My first memory of that is still burned into my brain. <clears throat> but, <laughs> but also, it, I think it's a really clever inversion of the uh, shot-reverse-shot technique. And it's done with like increasing speed to highlight not just how close the shark's getting towards him, but also... How, how close he's getting towards him, but also how fast he's coming at him. Like, normally, shot-reverse shot is, like, one of the basics in terms of doing editing, but here it's just weaponized to create so much suspense and tension, isn't it? I mean, Verna Field's obviously the, one of the best, uh, one of the best elements of the film in general. Um, you know, when I, when I was at Ebert Interruptus, they floated the idea of who would be like the co-author of Jaws with Spielberg. And I think the consensus was Verna Fields. Um, but I think in this moment, it's every single element, not to take away from Verna Fields work here because she, I mean, she knocks it out of the park. And did I mention this on last week's episode or did I mention it off mic? that she was editing as they were shooting, which is buck wild to me. I just don't, I can't understand how you would make a coherent, any movie coherent if you were editing while they were shooting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that might um, be down, that might be down to a scheduling thing because it's, it's slightly off topic, but yeah. I'm current, I'm currently writing a film essay on the last Jedi, which oddly enough, Mm. does a similar thing with the shot reverse shot thing between Rey and Kylo Ren, but it's done more for intimacy or mystery rather than suspense. Mm -hmm. But in the audio commentary, Ryan Johnson did say that because of the schedule, he and his team were editing the film even as they were filming it. So I'm wondering if maybe that had had something to do with uh, Werner Fields editing the film while they were still shooting. I I don't know, but maybe... Um, yeah, well, in the excerpt from the Jaws log, uh, Carl Gottlieb says that that was just how Verna Fields liked to work in general, is to, she liked to be on set, on location every day, and then editing at night. So it was just her process. Um, which, you know, good on her, but man, I just, I don't understand how you, how you could do that. Like, I know, I didn't know that about Last Jedi either, uh, that they were editing as they went. That's so wild to me that like you could make anything coherent without having all the footage there to have just the options to, to pick from. I know it was something I didn't know until I think about two, three, four days ago when I was watching it repeatedly for the sake of my essay, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, if that's, if that was Verna Fields uh, style, then it serves so well because my God, the editing is just, brilliant in this moment yeah and throughout man like the just every i don't think there's a bad edit in this whole movie like it's so so well put together like the the visual language of this movie is so it's so clear it's so easy to tell what's going on at all times and it's so easy to 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 follow like the the action of every scene like how one thing leads into another in every scene it's edited perfectly. Like there's no, I'm never confused about where people are. I'm never confused about where every, like how a thing looks. I'm never confused about like who's interacting with who it's all like, it's all so clear and concise. And, um, just the, the amount of information she's able to get across too in the edits is so it's, it's a lot. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's only a two hour movie and, 
she can it's so efficient in the the shot selection and the the even the shot length and and all that stuff it's so it's so it's so meticulous and um here in this moment it's so meticulous from everyone like it's really well performed by Scheider. it's really well acted by or it's really well directed by spielberg it's really well edited by Werner fields the music is incredible it's this culmination of all these things that we've heard previously the production design is great like the sinking orca looks just so cool in the water um from you know from joe alves and like it, it all comes together in this moment and then like the script even too like it trusts us enough to have not had real dialogue for minutes at this point like Uh, like a lot of minutes (laughs) Um, you know and even here it's just it's a lot of grunting and muttering to himself like there's not real human interaction until next week's scene and it's minimal at best Mm -hmm. yeah it's been so long since we've had like human interacting with (laughs) with human properly that it's i've only noticed that doing it doing it this time around because like when we've looked at our our chunk that we're talking about for for each episode we're like well yeah no dialogue again uh <laughs> i think this these lines are in the script i confess i haven't actually i haven't actually checked but um yeah just just to uh because talking about Werner fields is my favorite thing to do um the editing in this sequence if we're just sort of talking about this bit is so great because you're talking about you know the the it's never confusing you were saying this andre it's never confusing you know where everyone is you know what's happening everything is you know one thing leading into another and so perfectly constructed that it's just like this is the way this was always meant to be it's the perfect synergy of of material shot and the way that it's edited together it just all comes together so perfectly and there are moments in this that are quite frantic and we've you know the camera is is underwater at times sort of seeing looking up at Brody as if we are the shark and and he's jabbing sort of almost directly at the at the camera and then it's 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 going sort of the other way where we're looking down on on the shark as if we're in Brody's point of view um and just being able to convey what is clearly a a frantic and chaotic moment but it being so clear and the sort of the I think actually earlier, Callum, you said about it being like a Western showdown and I really, really love that idea. So I want to pick that up again. But this, you know, the shark coming towards him, it's going to be one or the other, you know, that is that is going to survive this um, sort of squaring off against each other. We can see exactly where where the shark is. And even though it is flicking between these between these viewpoints and showing Brody and then showing the shark, we get a sense of how far away this shark is from him how quickly the orca is sinking as well because that mast is going down like when he is in like prime position lining up that shot saying show me the tank show me the tank he is practically submerged like by the end of it he is almost entirely underwater like that that it could just be the way that 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 shot is uh, but it looks like that mast is very very close to the water indeed but uh, a great shot that I have just happened upon because it's it's what I've got paused on my screen is Brody like taking shots at the shark and then you see underwater with the shark and there's just like this bullet just like coming through the water. It's so satisfying. It's just really, <laughs> it's just a really great shot. A really great editing, obviously, to to bring all of that together. But 
yeah, this this showdown between if we're calling that this showdown between Brody and the shark, I think is one of the most spectacular scenes in all of Jaws and a film that is packed with incredible amazing moments that we've been able to get this much content out of to save something as good as this like right to the end i mean i uh rarely lost for words but really this bit this bit does it for me because it's just so great it is all things it's all cylinders firing it's all elements coming together like you were saying mj editing score acting direction production design the shark is flawless in this scene. It's exactly mm-hmm. where it needs to be. It's working perfectly. It's all so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <clears throat> that bullet in the water thing, uh, he does it again in Saving Private Ryan, and it has much different effect here it, there than it does here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 really yeah. um, harrowing in in Saving Private Ryan. Like it's you know, and we talked about this I think last week as well. You know, that that opening sequence for as technically amazing as it is, it's not like an entertaining action sequence. It's like it's it's presenting you with the horror of a battlefield that these men had to go through. And here it's presented as spectacle and like get get you a man who can do both is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like this entire sequence, I think, is a great example of what scholars like Hygiene Chun would call a media heterotopia and while he kind of talks about that concept in more of a negative way in that in attempting to create a seamless image it ends up kind of undermining and obscuring the individual components that went into it such as the music or the editing or the labor that went to crafting it but i think this is a rare example of a media heterotopia where not only is it genuinely seamless in the way it looks the way it's directed but it's one in which the more you look at it And the more you break it down in terms of its individual components, frankly, the better it gets. Mm. Yeah, I mean, boils down this podcast right there. (laughs) One of the things we've been we've been asked the most and and maybe we'll answer this again more more fully on our wrap up episode is people saying, like, has this process like ruined or improved the film? And it has absolutely improved it because looking at things in in this sort of extreme way in complete isolation and then thinking about it you know thematically and and the way it's you know constructed put together as well it does just make you see it in a in a completely different light where you're just really appreciating all of those individual elements like you're saying Calumon, and how they are coming together in this moment and so many others in the film as well and it helps with, let's be honest, it helps that it's all capped up with, you know, for a scene that has remarkably few lines of dialogue, it's capped off with one of the best lines of dialogue in any film ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's up there with Yippie motherfucker, right? Like, it is, it's just one of the coolest things anyone's ever said in any movie ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, you know, everyone, the most quoted line from Jaws, not in this house, but in in most people's uh, (laughs) houses, it is, you're going to need a bigger boat. Um, And that is obviously still a great line, can be used in many different uh, situations. But this, I think just the, the context of this line is everything. It's just, what a great, 
moment uh, i mean we've used the words triumphant euphoric like it's all of those things and just i love that the 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 curse word is kind of like half cut out yeah. as well yeah like it, obviously it's it's said like as the shark is blowing up it's so effectively done it's you know can can keep it under that uh 12 uh certificate i mean somehow to do that jaws yeah jaws should not be a pg as we've established but uh you can sort of get away with it a little bit the less the less curse word you have in there but so great great delivery great line great moment great (laughs) and i do love that it might be a bit of a spoiler for folk who haven't seen the other three jaws movies but it certainly starts the trend (laughs) of the shark the shark dying by explosion (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure does and uh well when we get to jaws 2 which we will uh i've got thoughts on the 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 line brody has that is trying to be this line um but we'll save my thoughts <laughs> for that episode <laughs> uh because it's not as good uh you can't you know it's like lightning in a bottle jaws you can try and recreate it you can be inspired by it you can have references to it but you can't you can't recreate moments that are so great so perfect because of all the elements and all the things that have gone on to to make those moments happen you can't just make those things happen again and i think that i mean yeah i know mj you you I thought Jaws 2 was okay, but and we will fully, you know, we'll save our full thoughts for that until, yeah. until we cover it. It's no Jaws 3, the... but... <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that's a good tease for anyone who is intrigued about uh, what those episodes are going to be like. Chaos is what they're going to be like. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they try to do it. They really try to, yeah. to do the Jaws at the end of Jaws 2, and it does not work. Um yeah, I mean, a very satisfying shark death, but <laughs> not as it's not as good, not as good by a long stretch. It, not to get too much into that territory, it almost feels like they should just stick with a catchphrase for the character. I think that would be lame as well, but like, they, like, I mean, it, 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 the closest comparison I have to it is the Yippie Kaye motherfucker from Die Hard, and he says that in every movie, and like, no one's ever really complained about that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I suppose it's probably equivalent to something like "Get away from her, you bitch!" and aliens or something. It's maybe not something that it's maybe not yeah. a worm in the same way that Yippie motherfucker is, but it is like for whatever reason, as you say, so like lightning in a bottle was just the perfect thing you could have said in that moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think what we're establishing here: the best and most iconic quotes usually have. A curse word. In <laughs> <laughs> oh, I. Well, like, uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I totally, I had it and then I totally lost it. Was it going to be, uh, smile, you son of a bitch, shippy kaye, motherfucker, <laughs> Moby Two Dicks? Was that there? <laughs> I do have a, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about Moby Two Dicks again, what I learned about Shark sure, Tale right. is, uh, that Robert De Niro plays a great white shark in it. So this, this is Moby Two Dicks. Oh no! Also, that shark—that <laughs> shark has the De Niro mole. <laughs> it's exquisite. 
it's seen some things as well. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> tired looking shark that sort of looks like Robert De Niro, but also not really at all. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah. seen it's seen the rest of the movie. Feels like a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why his face is that way. <laughs> he is <laughs> he's watched Shark Tale. Uh, maybe we'll cover Shark Tale at some point in the future of LJ Fam. Who knows? Oh yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's what I was going to say. So it's like, so smile, you son of a, you know, and then the explosion is this really great moment. And it's like a cool line that someone says. And it's functional. Like, I feel like you could use that in your everyday life at some point, even ironically. Um, mm-hmm. The the movie I think of that has like, it's such a cool line. And then you think about it for two seconds and you're like, where would anyone, why would anyone ever say that? is from Batman, 1989. Like, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? It sounds so cool in the movie. And then you think about it, and you're like, why the hell did he say that? Like, what is that? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no one says that. That's not That's not a colloquialism. Like, it's not a phrase that we just say sometimes. But in the, in the context of that movie, I never question it. And then it's one of those lines that you're like, that sounds so cool. And then you try to find a... an everyday purpose for it and you're like there's nothing i got nothing for this Mm -hmm. yeah the the i guess the best film quotes or i mean as we've established have a curse word in or are also ones that you can just use in everyday life because that's what keeps them going Mm -hmm. right if it's just like a cool thing to say or something that can apply to other situations i mean anytime you need a bigger something or a different something jaws has got the quote like right there i probably brought this up on the podcast before but like martin put too much pasta in his bowl one time and he was like you're gonna need a bigger bowl and it's like yeah you are gonna need a bigger bowl it's perfect it's (laughs) it's a jaws quote this is why i married you uh it's like it can apply to so many different situations it's colder outside than you first thought you didn't wear a warm enough jacket you're gonna need a bigger coat you know it just any situation applies to and i feel like this to a a lesser extent maybe than that i feel like that is a more adaptable quote but uh challenge accepted uh for me to now get this quote into more of my everyday conversations maybe not at work i don't want to get fired (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean what 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 else is it do you guys have any other examples? I know we talked about the yippie Kaye and the the get away from her, you bitch. Are there any others that are just like all timers like these? Hmm. Um, it's funny. I'm trying to remember one off the top of my head, and for whatever reason, uh, Mozart's laugh and Amadeus is the only thing that comes to mind, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, my brain went to Star Wars because yeah. I think that if we're we talk yeah. about you know the comparisons or, or you know that that most a lot of people's entry into cinema is like Jaws or Star Wars or maybe both or something else Spielberg at least, um, but there's a lot of stuff from Star Wars that you can that you can use uh, in both meme format and more seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um. What what the hell? What? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) So I'm looking at the AFI's 100 Greatest Movie Quotes of All Time. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
The only Jaws quote on there is, you're going to need a bigger boat. And it was number 35. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Yeah. No way, man. That's top 10 at least. <laughs> yeah, look. As oh, go ahead. Make uh, my day from Dirty Harry is probably up there with just like some cool shit to say. Yeah, I I think I used that AFI. I'm just going to like shameless self-promotion, but I used that AFI list as like the basis for one of my uh, Looper articles that I wrote where I did like most memorable quotes from movies. <laughs> There's probably some <laughs> probably some in that that we can apply uh, this rule to. Naturally, I included Jaws, I think. Let me just... Imagine if I didn't. Yeah, of course I included Jaws. What an idiot. <laughs> I got to write this list. If I didn't, you'd be like, imposter. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> Casablanca's on here ten times? On the AFI list, yeah, it's on there a bunch. Six. It's on there <laughs> six times. Yeah, I I narrowed it. That was my first processing narrowing it down from that list because it's I think it's a hundred, right? Uh-huh. Um, narrowing it down to my list was like, well, let me take out all the duplicates because there are some films that are on there multiple times, um, and it, it, yeah. There's one that I if, if I'm thinking of Casablanca, there is like one that I think of. Um, straight away. The others, yes, iconic, but play it again, Sam. If I or, think... even though it's that's oh, a mangled. Oh, here's it's looking at you, kid. Yeah, even though play it yeah, again, yeah. Sam is not the correct quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always one of those. Uh... Yeah, I always like the Casablanca quote of "You despise me, don't you? Well, if I gave you any four, I probably would." Yeah. There are a lot of good lines in that film, oh, to yeah. be fair. But... I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I... not to get too far away, but Casablanca is one of those movies that, like, you take for granted how good it is. So the first, like, two times you see it, you're like, yeah, it's Casablanca. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. And then, like, the third time you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, that was what it was one of those films where I didn't watch it until, like, a few years ago because... One, I just assumed I'd already seen it. I don't know if anyone yeah. else had that sensation. I was like, I must have seen it, surely. Um, but also, I was like, is it really as good as everyone says? And I'm I'm like that with quite a lot of the really big, iconic films. I did it with Sunset Boulevard as well. I've done it with a, a bunch of others where I'm like, is this going to be as good as people say? And then I watched Casablanca for the first time, and I was like, yeah, of course it's as good as people say. Yeah. It's Casablanca. Like... <laughs> This is probably going to be the moment where I end up getting kicked off the pod, but that was, oddly enough, the kind of journey I had with Jaws. I always thought it was great, I should Mm. say, but it's very much like, oh yeah, it's kind of like an obvious choice when people say, like, it's one of the best films ever made. And then, it's very much one of those films that, since a teenager to where I am now, I just watched it over and over and over again. And at some point, it just got to the point where I said, who am I kidding? This is one of the greatest films ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so funny how we do that and like i think a lot of people have that with jaws like I'll, i think people i th- i think the other thing people do with stuff like jaws or casablanca is like they refuse to accept that it can be as good as it is and so they like they're like <laughs> looking for things to nitpick about it or looking for like reasons why they didn't like it and it's like uh no like <laughs> that's total bs like you're you're reaching for this like these are objectively almost some of the best movies ever made and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the uh, you know you can look at at a movie like Jaws, especially because that's the one that really like made the blockbuster and like you know for better or for worse um, changed cinema as we know it. But it's still like you watch that movie and you're like, oh, I get why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had like a an an almost instant thing with Jaws. I couldn't quite put my my finger on it you know the first time i watched it but i mentioned this a couple episodes back as well just like something about jaws that kept pulling me back in Mm -hmm. and because it's because it is so much more than just a shark film you know i I said about my gateway drug being deep blue sea but it wasn't i didn't keep wanting to come back to to that film so jaws just kind of like snuck into my being my favorite film of all time but it was I would say probably only like second or third watch of it maybe where I was just like I think this might be one of the best films I've ever seen and I don't know what else I will see (laughs) spoiler nothing I will see uh will be as good as Jaws um but you know even at that time being like I this is just one of the best films ever made I don't know you know you're trying to I think we're just naturally cynical I don't know when you when you see a film you're trying to you don't want to think a film can be perfect right Mm -hmm. you're like there must be something there must be something about this there's got to be something surely that's not that's not quite right that isn't you know perfect whatever and sure there are things in jaws that like if you really drill down into it you can find continuity errors you can find bits that you know bad adr lord knows we've brought it up every time we've we've spotted it but when it boils down to like how that film makes you feel what it is you remember about that film like the reasons why you keep coming back to that film so many of those small things can be forgiven and i just think that it's yeah you don't go into like i mean obviously we're you know the worst people because we're like jaws is perfect nothing wrong with it best film ever made but people go into it and even now i see it like so whenever jaws is on tv in the uk which is a lot uh if i'm awake and free and not doing anything I usually jump on the the LJ fam Twitter and interact with people who are who are watching it because people, you know, we can't put our phones down for two seconds. So people have got their phones in their hands while they're watching Jaws. And I see people watching it for the first time. And it's super, super interesting because obviously I'm watching and I'm tweeting in real time with these people as well. The point where suddenly there are just less and less tweets and it is in the second half of the film because in the first half i feel like people are kind of like oh yeah okay that i didn't like that bit or that didn't look as good or oh this is a little dated oh the the, you know the shark doesn't look super great and then it gets to like the end of the film or sort of like the last like maybe just indianapolis onwards i think it just stops people deading their tracks yeah (laughs) their tracks from that point and then it just goes quiet you will just see less and less tweets coming through there'll be a couple obviously but not the sort of frenzy that there is when it first when it first starts just a weird and interesting thing that i that i've observed it's just like it hooks you in eventually you can try and find things that are wrong with it you can try and find errors if that's what you want to do but at some point Jaws will get you, I guess. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It will. It'll hook you in at, at some point, uh, and and shout you down and spit you back out again because it's you just can't deny <laughs> the what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, like, every once in a while, someone will just pop off on Twitter, and you're like, you don't actually think that. And it, usually it's like, <laughs> if they say, like, Casablanca sucks, or, like, Jaws sucks, or, like, The Godfather sucks, and it's like, no one thinks that. Come on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... The clickbait articles emerge, like, every now and again, don't they? Uh, with, with When it's normally, like, around an anniversary as well, it's like, here's the reasons why this film sucks, actually. And it's like, come on, please. Uh, it's like the, the Guardian all over again, isn't it? That brief spell where they try to say certain movie sucks and here's why, which is one of my least favourite methods of criticism, personally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 10 out of 10 agree. <laughs> yeah, just because... I mean, yeah, okay, I mean, there's yeah. exceptions to every rule, but like, yeah. Like, like if someone were to do that with like Book of Henry, a movie that actually sucks, I don't think I would have a problem with it, but... I just, I know, like, as critics, we're kind of preconditioned to sort of look for what works and what doesn't, almost in like a binary capacity. But I know mm-hmm. certainly, I can, only, I can only speak for myself here. But my approach to film, whenever I'm reviewing or watching, well, I think Roger Ebert put it best. It's that cinema is a machine for generating empathy, and that's why for me, like, okay, yeah, yeah while something like Jaws, for example, may have a technical glitch here and there the feeling that it creates for the viewers uh and this and in this particular scene that just crescendos entirely like the emotion it makes you feel as you watch it that is genuine that's raw that's real and that is why from that's why it's one of the greatest films ever for me mm-hmm. that's exactly what i was trying to say just a lot more eloquently than yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I put it so thanks callum <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm looking at this top 10 list of these AFI quotes and getting furious, by the way. I need to click on oh, no. this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Shut it down. Yeah. Don't, give, don't give them the clicks. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, one, one, of my first, one of my first essays for the master's course I'm currently on was on why all top 100 or greatest movie of all time lists just all inherently sucks. So maybe I'll get a bit annoyed <laughs> if I look at this. <laughs> Brando has two of the top three. Yeah. Wow. It's just a thing is, as someone who does, <laughs> as someone who does like write uh, lists for at least half of my living, mm. it's really, really hard because you're sort of going by the, the the fairest way of doing it is going by like the critical consensus. So if you read one of my lists, it is not uh, it's not my true ranking, and I I always say this: if it was my true ranking, uh, if Jaws is anywhere on that list, obviously it would be first. Um, so that's when you can tell that I that I am doing what I am told uh, in in my job and putting things where where, where I'm told to put them basically. Um, but if it's if it's not that, if it is just you know this person, Mark Como, Roger Ebert, whoever, like you know the, these critics, but anyone as well. I mean, we all do it, like year end lists and top ten of the year and and you know whatever. It's just it's just. Not to quote Big Lebowski, but it's just like your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's to to make the you're never gonna have like the true list because even the I mean the IMDb top two fifty is buck wild because that's all upvoted by people, you know, where it's like let's get this into the the top whatever. Yeah. You'll have super recent things that have only just come out that are ahead of Jaws, and it's just like no. I mean, if this was a fair list, <laughs> this would not be the way things are done. But 
when I when I am putting those things together in the way that I'm meant to, it's like I take the IMDb score, I take the Rotten Tomatoes critic score, I take the meta the Metacritic yeah. score, um, and I combine those and I work out an average and I'm like, this seems the fairest way uh, of doing what I'm supposed to do, which is like put these into some kind of ranked order. But yeah, it's uh, it's all unless you're doing it in that way. <laughs> you can't look at a list and be like, this is, you know, that hundred quotes list. I don't know who ordered it for the AFI, but, you know, they like Brando, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and Casablanca. With <laughs> its, yeah. like, ten inclusions. <laughs> um, did, <laughs> before we just trash uh, uh, our own livelihoods, I guess, <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry, rights list. Um, is there anything else about uh, about this scene that we haven't mentioned? I mean, I feel like we could talk uh, for another couple of hours about it. But yeah, anything that, that you guys had in your notes that you haven't mentioned yet? Um, I have one more thing, and that's from, oddly enough, from personal experience. Because Jack mentioned it on his episode. But yeah, a few years back, we visited Martha's Vineyard. And by accident discovered it's where Jaws was filmed, and as he said, it's just from discovering that tree that's outside the outside the police station. But we actually did go to the bit where this sequence was filmed, and it really struck me how small the bay they filmed it in was, because the way it's portrayed in the film, it basically feels oh, it's that whole that whole thing I said about Western Showdown in the middle of the desert. It feels like the middle of nowhere. And yet, when you're actually seeing the physical sight, it's so much smaller than the film makes it out to be. And yeah. again, I think that's just a credit not only to Spielberg's directing and Bill Butler's cinematography, but also to Butterfield's editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think I would maybe understand that more because it looks like a lot of the beach towns, even on the west coast. And those tend to be pretty small. Um, but yeah, that that makes sense to me that it's a lot smaller than you would think it is. Mm. I mean, you could, I don't know if it's in... Mm, I don't think you can see the land at all in this bit, but there are a couple of bits where it's sort of like the orca is heading into land and it, it doesn't look that far away. You're like, obviously there was a point where they were not that close to land as they are now heading in. But you do get that sense of like, it not being that far away at that point, if that if that makes sense. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see like actually being there. Like the scale of things is hard to tell in a film, right? It's like it, because of the way it's filmed. That could have been, you know, ten feet away from shore. Right. We don't know that. It's <laughs> because of the way the way it's the way it's shot and you know the angles and stuff that that they're using to. So that you don't see that, you know, the shore is right there and there's a load of people on the beach watching this happen in front of them. But it's that, you know, the trickery of it. But then actually, like, being in the place and seeing where it's filmed, I guess you get, well, obviously you get a much better sense of a sense of the scale or, yeah, like how small the area was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> by the way, Twitter's exploding right now because The Ringer posted a top 50 list. Of the 50 best rom-coms of all time. <laughs> and the only film on that list from before 1980 is Harold and Maude. I'm sorry. Uh, most of the best romantic comedies are 
in the like the 40s and 50s 50s. (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah are we just gonna ignore the whole like screwball romantic comedy genre yeah are we just gonna ignore the fact that bringing up baby exists or his girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) casablanca uh (laughs) i mean i guess not so much a comedy but there's some funny shit that (laughs) they say in casablanca though there's some good jokes on the in that script I would class it as like a romantic dramedy. Yeah. I hate that term, but it's not, you know. I'm going to yeet my phone into the sun if I get to number one here, and it's not when Harry met Sally, by the way. Oh, yeah. I would... I would hear a yeet in uh, real time. Yeah, I, I'd dry it if that were the case as well, to be fair, MJ. <laughs> Talk about a perfect script, yeah. man. That's one of the best scripts I've ever seen. It's... Oh, man. That screenplay is so, mm-hmm. it's so fucking good. <laughs> 20. A hard degree on 21 that. is the 40-year-old virgin, to let you know where we're at with this. Look, I... <laughs> I like that movie, well, it's too. Funny but... how... It's funny how this is popping off, like, as we are talking yeah. about how lists are not always <laughs> the best. I just opened Twitter, it was the first thing I saw, and I was like, hey, that's exactly what we were talking about. Number 10 is Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I like that movie, but come on! I mean, I, I gotta know what's number one now. Alright, I'm gonna uh, just read the top 10 titles. 10, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. 9, The Wedding Singer. Uh, 8, My Best Friend's Wedding. 7, Sleepless in Seattle. 6, Notting Hill. Uh, 5, Jerry Maguire. 4, Clueless. Three, you've got mail. I'm getting really nervous now. Uh, two, pretty woman. Number one. Okay, it is when Harry met Sally. Good. At least they got that one. Right. Oh, thank God. <laughs> a live eat uh, to end the podcast would be a perfect way to round things out. Um, on that note, uh, <laughs> no way of bringing it back to Jules after that. Yeah. Uh, although, of course, if this was my list, if I was writing this list, uh, Jaws would be the number one. Number one rom-com. Yeah. Yes. The yes, romance being between uh, Ben Gardner's first mate and Quinn's first mate, correct? <laughs> they do have impeccable chemistry, to be yes. fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's all true. Um, well, I feel like that is a perfect place to end it as I choke on my water. Yeah. MJ, you might need to do that. Out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, Sarah is indisposed right now, but um, Callum, let them know where they can find you online, your writing, if you have a podcast, anything, any anywhere people can follow you or read your stuff or listen to. Uh, oh, well, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a blast. It's been so much fun. And yeah, I uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm currently a master's student studying film and television studies at the University of Glasgow. But I do write reviews and uh, co-host and guest on podcasts on and off again, even though uni is taking up most of my time right now. So on Twitter, you can find me at Callum the Film Guy, where you can find my reviews at sites like In Their Own League and Flick Feast. But you can also catch me and my good friend Simon Whitlock. We co-host a podcast called, and uh, bear with me with the name, the podcast is called Little Women in Black Thunderpants. <laughs> a great name. <laughs> yeah, and okay. so, uh, 
Uh, the context for that, because this was a podcast uh, created by Simon, and I came on a few episodes in. So the aim of this podcast is to go into the filmographies of uh, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint while avoiding ah, the see. problematic while avoiding the problematic material of the Wizarding World surrounding that. So the name comes from arguably each each actor's most significant film outside of that of that franchise <laughs> i forgot thunderpants existed yeah <laughs> it's, i saw that at the cinema as well what a wild time <laughs> thunderpants is unironically a great film in my opinion yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta see it again i remember very little about it apart from teehee fart jokes uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> funnily and funnily enough it which is uh Sorry, you go on, Sarah. Yeah, we, as I say, which is uh, arguably, I guess, all you need to know about Thunderbolt. That's all I know about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little women in black thunderpants. That's uh, now. Now that I know the context for the for the show, it's pretty great. Yeah, and I <laughs> I can't take credit for that. For that, that was uh, Simon Whitlock's doing. My co-host, he came up with the name, so I yeah. I can't take credit for that. Yeah, genuinely excited to hear you talk about the Weird Al movie. Then, oh yeah, that is that is on our list when we get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big one for <laughs> for MJ. That yeah, year. it is. Um, I think I can. <laughs> I think I can talk again. Okay. Now. We'll see. Uh, MJ. If I suddenly start dying again, yep. you'll just have to take over. Look, maybe this is my last episode. Maybe that <laughs> <laughs> I peaked with the funniest thing I've ever said, and now apparently <laughs> cannot talk yep. anymore. <laughs> okay, uh, MJ, did you have anything that you would like to? Talk uh, about? Yeah, I'm working on the screenplay for a follow-up to Mickey Blue Eyes called Moby Two Dicks. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, it got me again. <laughs> It's never not funny. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Anything I'm sorry. I just I, the 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 Hugh Grant shark that I have made in my brain is uh, very strong. It's a very strong mental image yeah. of powerful. Yep. Of what a Hugh Grant shark would look like. So. Uh, I love it. Yep. With the floppy hair. Is <laughs> <laughs> He would be oh a hammerhead shark, right? Yeah, surely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apart from that, which I imagine is taking up a lot of your yes. time, but any, anything else that you'd like to uh, Real Perspective, it is my other podcast. Um, we're putting out a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm not sure when you're hearing this, early May sometime. Uh, we did an episode on Book of Boba Fett somewhat recently. Um there's an episode on the Batman out. I don't know if we're doing one on the Wizarding World uh, movie. We might be. We might not be. We might be waiting for it to hit HBO Max. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason for that is uh, not because particularly we are fans of it, but uh, they're so bad that they're fun to talk about. My favorite episode of that show of mm-hmm. all time that I've done is our episode on Fantastic Beasts 2 where we just eviscerated that movie with two of our good friends who are 
or at least at one time in their lives were gigantic Harry Potter fans and to sort of like watch in real time the breakdown of like what that (laughs) that franchise and that (laughs) fandom has become um is it is a little sad but it's also very entertaining um to listen to so our our episode on that is contingent on the two of them wanting to come back for this one and (laughs) one of them is all in and the other one needs some convincing so so we'll see if that if that happens if not we're definitely doing one on unbearable weight of massive talent which is my most anticipated movie of the year um so definitely be on the lookout for that great uh i was on uh another podcast very exciting i uh guested on the unequal sequel podcast um i'm hoping it's out by the time this episode is out they said may so that just about tracks um where the concept being i have to pick my best sequel my worst sequel and my dream sequel so i decided to be very very on brand and i went all jaws uh i'm not gonna tell you what my (laughs) my best worst and dream were but you can listen to that episode uh and find out uh a small spoiler jaws 3 gets mentioned find out whether it was my best or my worst um but that was uh that was a lot of fun so yeah you can check that out uh unequal sequel is the name of that podcast uh i think that is everything otherwise so you can find us on social media we are on twitter and instagram we are at jaws for a minute if you want to follow us individually i am at sarah buttery and mj is at mj smith 891 if you head to either our Twitter or Instagram, you can find the link tree in our bio. There you'll find the link to our Public and Redbubble pages where you can purchase our merchandise, courtesy of Alex, who is at Hex Ghosts on Twitter. You can also purchase our theme song by at Kristen Falls Music um, on Instagram. The link to her Bandcamp page is in her Instagram bio as well as our link tree. Uh, you can also find our coffee page uh, where for minimum £3 or $3 you can buy some virtual caffeine or non-caffeinated beverage of our choice. Uh, in doing so, you'll get a shout out on the show. You'll also be entered into a draw to win a t-shirt once we hit a donation goal. Um, if you're able to do that, that will really, really help us out. Uh, also, uh, no extra cost to you. You can rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Um, that really helps us out. Uh, you can also tell everyone, you know, to come and check us out. Even though we are wrapping up Jaws very, very soon, uh, doesn't mean you can't go back and, and start from the beginning or uh, listen to your favourite episodes all over again. And, and it's, you know, these episodes will always be here, uh, I guess. <laughs> I don't uh, conclusively say that. But yes, uh, the episodes will, will continue to exist uh, even when we're talking about other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's never too late, even if we're two episodes away from finishing Jaws, never too late to get involved. So you can continue to tell people um, about us and where to find us. That would be great. Uh, I think that is it, uh, before I lose my voice completely until next week, it is Jaws o'clock somewhere. <laughs>